1976, I was four years old and unaware of lots of events going on in the world. Um, somewhere in a different part of the world in 1976, a guy could not afford a computer. So he made a computer. Uh, him and a buddy of his made uh, this computer. One of the guys decided that they could market this computer because it was less expensive than other $10,000 computers. I know, you think back to 1976, I don't remember anything in 1976. Some of you might remember computers in 1976 and you wonder, how in the world did those things cost $10,000? Well, one of those guys marketed or, or thought, we could market that computer. And his company did not believe that they could. And so, 10 years later, 1985, they fired Steve Jobs. Yeah, happened. 12 years later, <clears throat> they figured out it was a mistake to fire Steve Jobs. So they hired him back. We know, of course, that computer is Apple. And it's kind of ironic that uh, that's now the most expensive computer you can buy. <laughs> uh, this, this affordable computer that they wanted to market everybody. And I say none of that to say anything about computers or Steve Jobs. I find it interesting that a man, I've always wondered how you can fire somebody from a company they started. Like, how do you do that? This is my company, right? Now I do understand a little bit, not a lot of it, but a little bit about public trading and that's why they can do that. But in... In the world, there are different organizational structures, right? and different companies choose to structure their businesses different ways, and sometimes the CEO is at the top, and I guess he's an owner of some sort, and, and there's a board, or the president, there's all sorts of ways that people want to organize and, and spread out their power. We've been talking about Christ's roles, his official jobs that he came to do, the official jobs that he was anointed to do. And that was the way you showed that this was an official job in the Old Testament. Just as an aside, Jesus lived under the Old Testament. I know he's in the New Testament in your Bible, but he lived under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. And so he was anointed to do certain jobs. And uh, we're continuing I want to talk about the most prestigious job. The CEO, if you will, of the Old Testament might not be the one you would think of. We talked last week about the prophet and we said that was the, not the job you wanted. That job tended to get killed. Hey, that's not, not a famous job. It's like, hey, anything else you got there? I'll take anything else you got other than the prophet. Um, so we're going to be talking about a different role. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6 through 10 says, he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we're talking about <clears throat> being a priest. Well, what is... A priest. We want to talk about uh, a couple of concepts of what it meant to uh, be a priest. Now, first of all, before we talk about these, one, um, these come from 
look at what the words mean. What does the word priest mean? Uh, so, the, the Old Testament word meant to be an efficient, to, uh, to be an official over something, not an official like a police officer or a government official, but, but to, to preside over a ceremony, to be an officiant. So, the word was connected to the function. The priest emphasized his, his function in, in his role, in his job. He presided over religious rites and ceremonies and sacrifices. He went into the holy place and, and did various things. The high priest did other things. But uh, uh, the general concept of a priest was to be an official over ceremonies. The New Testament word is a different word. Um, and I'm not going to go into Greek and Hebrew words. But the idea comes from being sacred or devoted to something. And so the New Testament word more focuses on the character of the person holding the job, uh, and, and not just that, but the nature of the job. That is, this is something, uh, this is a special job, and we need a special person to do the job. And so it doesn't really focus on the, the function and the, the, uh, the practical application so much as, as the character of the person. And so these are the, these are the two basic ideas of a priest. And Hebrews chapter 8, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 6. I, I, I'm not going to apologize for a lot of reading the scripture. There's a lot of scripture in our sermon today. Um, the only thing I apologize is that my voice might not hold out for it all. Now, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched is not man. Every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, therefore, it's of necessity, this man has something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things that Moses uh, was admonished by God when he was about to make the tabernacle. He see, he says that to make the thing according to the pattern shows you, and I also apologize that I copied this out of the King James, uh, in the month. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. How much uh, also, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And so, so we're talking about the idea of, uh, looking at this idea of the job that Jesus came to do, the, being an efficient over these ceremonies. Of course, he was the high priest, so he had the, the highest uh, of all. And we've talked a couple times now about Melchizedek, and we're going to talk about them. But here he focuses more on the Levitical priesthood, the, the, what, uh, Aaron, we're going to come back later to Melchizedek and what that all meant. But Aaron was the high priest, and, and, and his son after him, and his son after him, they were the high priests, and they brought sacrifices. But here it says that Jesus brought a better sacrifice. So, uh, so as you look at the symbol of the, of the high priest, first of all, he restored the relationship. The high priest, every year, he went once a year, and his job was to bring a sacrifice that would restore the relationship between God and the people of Israel. That was the job. It's, uh, it's called, if you've ever heard of Yom Kippur, right? That's the Day of Atonement in your Bible. It's the same thing. And, and so that happens. That's the, that is their high, big, most important day because that represented really the one day of the year that their sins were forgiven uh, for the whole year, previous. Of course, we know how long it takes to, takes to mess up. So by the end of that first day, most of them were guilty again. And it's like, oh, that was exciting. I got with 365 more days. 
So I restored the relationship. So they look forward to that day. It's like, oh man. It's like after Christmas, right? It's like, oh, 364 days till Christmas. Right? 364 more days till, till God is, and, and, and I are one again. And he said, so he had to bring a gift. They, they brought a gift. Not, not quite the gift you think they bring to do this job. The gift they brought was a dead animal. Let's kill an animal and pour blood. Let's pour blood all over the Ark of the Covenant. That, that was, that was the, the gift. And he had to do it frequently. But Jesus brought a superior gift. He brought himself a perfect lamb without spot or blemish, the Bible says. The problem was that the priests started to think they were special because of themselves and not because of the gift that they brought. In the passage we just read, talked about how it's important that the person brings the gift. In other words, the important thing about the priest was not the priest, it was the job and the function that he did. But the priest started to think that they were special because it was them who brought the gift. And we read in the, the, the New Testament, we read the story of the prodigal son, and well, those guys couldn't dare to, to, to cross over and help someone. They were too important. I'm too important to help this person. I'm too important to get dirty, to become unclean, then I can't go into the temple if I'm unclean because of blood and I'm too important. And so, they didn't understand that the value that they held was only because of the sacrifice they brought. Well, Jesus was a superior minister. Hebrews 9, 24-26, it says, Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but into a heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God before us. Before us. Not yet that he should offer himself often, like the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Then he would have to suffer since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so he is a superior minister. He has brought a universal gift. And think about this. He brought a universal gift in both time and in space. Not just, not just that, that it affects all people. See, the, the, the sacrifices that Aaron brought, and then Aaron's son and grandson and all, all the way down through, they only brought it for the Jewish people. They didn't bring a sacrifice that would, that would do anything for people on the other side of the world. It was a very limited sacrifice that they brought. Uh, it also, it only, it only lasted a little bit. Uh, it, it, it wasn't universal. It was, it was something that they had to do all, all the time. And also, uh, Jesus sacrificed, did things retroactively. You know, a lot of times we're like, well, we're going to have to grandfather that in. How many things have to be grandfathered in because it's already done? Like, oh, well, we're going to have to figure this out. It's already done. Jesus said, no, I can retroactively go back in time and make it like those people never sinned. That's pretty powerful. I can, I can set up a sacrifice that will, will take care of things down the line, too. I can predict what people are going to do, and I can be a sacrifice that can take away those sins as well. That's a pretty amazing sacrifice. Aaron couldn't do that. But it was a superior gift. As we said, Jesus was a lamb without spot or blemish. He offered a pure sacrifice. He offered one that was above the level 
See, Aaron's sacrifice only offered at a lower level than what it was sacrificing for. An animal was not level with a human being. And so we find out in the New Testament that God was never happy with the blood of goats and bulls. It was, it was, it was an idea to teach people something, but it, it never really satisfied the need. But Christ came with a sacrifice that was above the level of humans. He should have never sacrificed it. Aaron really shouldn't have had to sacrifice that because it was beneath us. But, but Christ should have never had to sacrifice for us because he was above us. So he was a superior gift. He was both the giver and the gift itself. And in both he was superior. Hebrews chapter 7, 11 through 16 says this, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should come after the order of Melchizedek? Now we're going to go back to this guy. And not be called after Aaron. It's really, it's not about Aaron. Since for the priesthood was changed, there is of a necessity of change also of the law. For he whom these things are spoken about pertains to a different craft, of which no man gave attendance at the altar, because it's obvious that our Lord sprang out of Judah, the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses said nothing concerning the priesthood. And yet it's quite evident that after the um, example or the image of Melchizedek, there arises a different priest who is made not after the law of physical commandment, but after the power of an endless life. I'm going to try to package that up and, and put that in English. Christ couldn't be a high priest, physically. It was against the rules. Only priests from the descendants of Aaron could be the high priest. But that was from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of David. Right? So, so he could not be a high priest. Jesus said, listen, if he was a high priest here on earth, he couldn't, he couldn't do that. Jesus is a high priest somewhere else. He is a high priest in heaven. And he is after a different order. He predates Aaron. And the example that he chooses is interesting. He talks about this example of Melchizedek. Someone similar to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is kind of a, an interesting guy. But I want you to notice something here. That uh, Jesus outgrew the comparison of Aaron. We, he said he fulfilled that. And he did some things, talk about going into the high priest and, and, and the day of atonement and those things. But he outgrew that. He's like, I'm too big for this example. I fulfilled it, but I'm too big for it. I'm going to move to something that has a little bit more powerful uh, example in the Old Testament. And we reach Melchizedek, whom is only mentioned very briefly. Wow, that's amazing that, that we know so little about Melchizedek. Not much at all. And yet, the Bible says that he's, that's a greater example to use for a priesthood than Aaron, who is mentioned a lot, and the priest, and the high priest, and all that. That's, it's mentioned a lot in the Bible, but that's not really that important, comparatively. So let's look at this. Hebrews 7, 1 through 7, same chapter. And this is the beginning of it. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being in interpretation the king of righteousness. That's what the name Melchizedek means. And after that, the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. So he had a different, different title. 
We had the father and the mother, no descent happened in the beginning of days or end of life, but made like the Son of God. He lived as a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch paid a tithe of all the spoils of war. And truly, they are the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take half of the people, according to the law, that's their brothers. So they come out of uh, their descendants of Abraham, but he who is this, whose descent is not counted from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him to have the promises. And without contradiction, you know that the less is blessed by the better. Man, this is confusing. But again, we'll just get the basics out of here. So he uses the, the concept. So Levi got tithes. So tithes were paid, and this was their this was their salary. This was how you, they got their salary from tithes. Okay? So that was their job was to do all these sacrifices for God. They received tithes. Right? So now think about it this way. Um, Abraham was the father of all these people. And they received tithes. And yet, Abraham paid tithes to this guy. Well, the Levites get the honor from the people, right? That's, that's an honor to be paid to do your job for these people. So, so the, lesser is, uh, the lesser is blessed, or is, is gives to the, to the greater, right? And so Abraham, he thinks, well, if that's true, Abraham gave to Melchizedek. He paid tithes to Melchizedek. So all of that that's encompassed in Abraham, uh, the Levites and all that, that must then naturally, we must conclude that this Melchizedek is greater because Abraham paid him. Now, let's, he says, now let's flip this around. He says, who blesses who? Well, the greater blesses the lesser. Because you have to have the ability to bless, right? God blesses us. So we naturally understand that God would be better. He says, here's coming back, Abraham meets this Melchizedek and he blesses him. That is, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Again, what do we find out? Melchizedek must be greater than Abraham. Whoa! Now, here's you. And we have Abraham as our great-grandpappy. And you hear someone saying, Abraham is not the biggest deal in the Old Testament. You go, whoa! <laughs> Jesus is... I mean, this is, this is just beyond what they can contain in their mind. But here it is in in Hebrews, finding out there's something greater than Abraham in the Old Testament. Now, the mystery of Melchizedek. Because we talked about some things here that he's without a father or mother, and uh, he's without beginning or end of days. So, some people have concluded that he must be Jesus. Because, I mean, how can you be that Jesus must have been on the earth in the form of Melchizedek so that this could be said about him? He was without father. Well, who's without father or mother? I mean, God is without father or mother. The only one that's without father or mother. And who's without beginning of day or end of day? Well, God. We all have the beginning and we all have an end. So, I want to kind of go through that. Now, it's important, first of all, that we, we notice something here. 
that Hebrews says that he was made like Christ. He was not Christ. That's important. We have to first let the Bible tell us what it wants to tell us. Then we can kind of put the difficult pieces in. He was made like Christ. That means a, a symbol of what we call a type. So we have to understand these two statements a little bit differently. They are meant to draw a connection between Melchizedek and Christ. They're not literal. They're symbolic. We have to go back and understand the, the importance and the things that Jews place priorities on. They, they place priorities on genealogies. That was very important. If you didn't have your genealogy, you were a nobody. And so, Melchizedek, not being a Jew, didn't have a genealogy, not really big outside of Hebrew circles. So he has no pedigree, I guess, if you want to look at it like that. So that's the, that's the first thing. He has no pedigree. He can't say, oh, I'm the father of the, the son of this person, the son of this person, the son of this person. He's without father or mother in that sense. And the Jew would look at him and say, well, who are you? You have, you have nothing. And he's without personal history. We don't know where he's from. The Bible doesn't tell us where he's from. The Bible doesn't tell us where he lived after this event. The Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, we know very little. He was, he was from Salem. That's all we know. He was the king of this place called Salem. We don't know when he died. We don't know how he died. We don't know anything. We don't know his family history after this. We know nothing about this person. And yet, he's so important. And, and, and this idea is, is meant to draw a comparison to Christ. And, and Christ's superiority to, to the Jewish priest. The Jewish priest thought he was so great because I'm the son of this person, the son of this person, the son of this person, the son of Aaron. That's what makes me important. Who's my dad? You don't know where I came from? I have no end, no beginning. Kind of like, in a similar way, to Melchizedek. That's all it means. He's this mysterious guy. And yet he's so great. So Jesus fulfilled these symbols. Now, we get to the part we really want to get to. That's a lot of reading to get to this part. Because we don't want to just know all these details about the priest. We want to know a priest. Especially since this was the greatest position. This was the greatest thing in the Old Testament. This was the thing they really looked at and said, we, this is the position to have. You've got prophecy, you can teach that, but, but the priest was the one that the Jews looked at and said, that was, that was the greatest one. So let's know the priest. Let's learn him and develop a relationship with him. Well, the same text that we just read about Abraham being blessed. You know, Abraham had all these promises. He was spoken of, oh, you're going to be a father of great nations, etc., etc. And yet, if we go back and just read this one verse from that, it says, He whose descent is not counted from them receives tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises and without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. Abraham allowed Melchizedek to bless him. That's the first thing that's important, is to accept the blessing. So if you want a connection to the priest, you've got to accept the blessing from him. 
The thing that he wants to do for you, you have to accept. You can't have a relationship with Christ as the high priest until you let him bless you. Well, that's not too hard. We're talking about that. Who wouldn't take money? Who wouldn't take a blessing? I won't turn that stuff down, right? But sometimes we have a difficulty allowing Christ to bless us. Because the blessing doesn't always look like what I want. How many people passed over Jesus because he didn't fit their preconceived ideas? The whole world passed over God in the flesh because he didn't fit their preconceived ideas. And, and Jesus' blessings don't always fit. Sometimes Jesus' blessings are, listen, I, I'm doing this to help you and it hurts a little bit. I don't want that blessing. You can keep that one. And come back when the blessing feels a little bit more pleasant. And Jesus says, no, you've got to accept the whole thing. I'm here to bless you. You've got to take the blessing if you want a relationship with the priest. Hebrews 7 gives us another requirement to a relationship. Therefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing that he lives ever to make intercession for them. For such a high priest uh, uh, came like us to his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily, like those other high priests, to offer up a sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people. But he did this once when he offered up himself. The law makes men high priests which have weaknesses, but the word of the promise, which was since the law, makes the Son who is consecrated forevermore. We talked about the superior superiority of the sacrifice, but this one part he makes the law makes men high priests. This is concept um, to approach. He is able to save to the uttermost. It's such a concept that, that he can reach out further than than the, the Jewish sacrifice. But the problem is that he says you have to approach. You're required to approach it. He is not going to go out with his blessing and grab you and force you to it. You have to approach. Those high priests, they, they brought the sacrifice and had to approach the place where God was. Right? If you want to have a relationship he can save you to the uttermost. He can save you from anything you've ever done. But you have to approach Him. Now the thing is, because of the sacrifice, it doesn't make a difference how far you've traveled, you can get back. That's the good news. But all He does is ask you to draw near. Approach Get close. That's what we're talking about. Developing a relationship. We've talked about this. Getting familiar with. Getting close to. The relationship. Get close. Approach. And the last one. 
He says, you like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen, precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of a head. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we talked about how we cannot do what Christ did. We can't do what Christ did, but in the holy place is interesting. There were different priests. There was a high priest, that's Christ. We talked about that. He fulfilled that symbol. He went beyond it. But there were other priests. And they were important too. And he says, there's other priests. I've made you a priesthood. After me. We have to aspire to the example that Christ set. To the function that Christ did. Not that I can forgive people's sins. I cannot say to the uttermost. That's not what the priest did. The priest went in and did the work of, of the tabernacle. They, they were officiants also to a lesser degree. The incense and the, the various things that they took care of. They served in the tabernacle. I grew up in the, one of the guys in the church. He was a little bit, he was about four or five years older than me. He was uh, the guy I wanted to be like. Everything he did, I wanted to do. I liked the sports teams he liked. I liked everything he was, I wanted to be. So when I was in sixth or seventh grade, and we had a career class, and they said, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be an electrician. I mean, the whole class was like, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a fireman, I want to be an astronaut. Right? I want to be an electrician. And he, like, the teacher looked at me like, that's pretty weird for a 6th or 7th grader to say something like that. Why did I want to be an electrician? Because Joel was. That's why. I wanted to be an electrician because Joel was an electrician. And my career teacher said, you'll, you'll change by the time you go to college. I said, no, I won't. I went to college, got a degree to be an electrician. I was an electrician for a while. That's how much I aspired to be like Joel. Aspired to be a priest aspire to do what Christ did. I can't do exactly what He did, but I can serve others. Christ came to serve others. I can serve others. I can do that. Christ came to save to the uttermost. I, I can't save them, but I can come to bring a message to the uttermost. I can aspire Christ came to get dirty. I can get dirty. I'm not too important as a priest to get dirty. I'm not too important because Christ wasn't too important that he couldn't do that and put himself in that position. So as we conclude today, just a couple of thoughts. First of all, have I 
allowed Christ to bless me? And second, have I allowed Christ to change me? The two things that are important. Christ came to bless. He was a priest above priests. Do not consider yourself too good for his blessing. Don't consider yourself too bad for his blessing either. You're not too bad for his blessing. Oh, God could never forgive that. Yes, he can. He's saved to the uttermost. The thing that you think God could not possibly ever forgive you for or forget is a death included. I didn't know suddenly there, there was... Oh, man, when I, when I died on the cross, I didn't think that person was going to do that thing. He had it all in his head. You're not too bad. You're not too good. You're not too bad. Accept your role. Have I allowed Christ to change me? I am not too busy to get involved. And I'm not too busy to associate with the unclean. That is the role, the real role, of a priest.